How are you? Um, many years ago, I was at the Keswick Convention. Anybody been to the Keswick Convention? Come on, a few, a few of you remember that. Uh, well, it's still going, of course. Um, but um, it was when I was a student, I hitchhiked up the M1 when people, when students used to hitchhike. And uh, only got halfway up, so I had to knock on my uncle's door at one o'clock in the morning in Liverpool. I was throwing stones at his window one o'clock in the morning and said, Hello, Uncle Owen. Um, I'm on my way to Keswick. Um, but I was hitchhiking and I only got halfway, so can I stay at your house tonight and then uh, follow, you know, carry on the next day? Anyway, on that occasion, I wasn't going to share that personal detail with you. Um, Billy Graham was one of the speakers, and uh, the late Billy Graham, the late and great Billy Graham. And uh, I always remember somebody asked him a question, how do you keep spiritually fresh? And his answer was, I read five Psalms a day and one chapter of Proverbs. Okay? If you do that, because you've got 150 Psalms on, on an average month anyway, you get all the way through Psalms and you've got 30 chapters of Proverbs, you get all the way through, uh, you know, through Proverbs sort of each month. And uh, if you can keep that for a little while, it actually gets you through... You know, I mean, it's a kind of reading scheme in itself, isn't it? And I don't do it all the time, but I do return to it every now and again. And um, I just so happened to be reading through uh, the Psalms, you know, in this season. And um, I got to Psalm 120 to 134. Everybody know them? No. <laughs> well, they're, they're the ones. Anybody know the title for, for them? You haven't got your first slide up, so I haven't given the answer away, which is often what I do. And they're called the Songs of Ascent. All right, so there are a whole bunch of Psalms from 120 to 134, and they all have the heading, or the subheading, if you like, underneath their psalm and their number, the Songs of Ascent. Um, the message version of that is the Songs of the Stairs, because it's thought that these Psalms were read on the temple steps, and since there are 15 temple steps, there was a psalm for each temple step. You can imagine, you know, sort of 15 people or a chorus of people on each step kind of speaking out these psalms. And, um, but the, uh, the thing about those, these psalms is that they were written at a particular time. In a moment, we're going to show you a, a video. Uh, it takes you through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, which the video introduces itself by saying, originally this was one book rather than two. And if you, I, I, I won't steal the thunder on the video, but basically what's going to be described in the video is the context of these psalms, or when people think these psalms were actually written. Because the psalms, although they become, you know, timeless in their application, they were actually written in real situations. And these 15 psalms from 120 to 134, they're all quite short. If you sat down, you could read them in 20 minutes. And, um, but they are set in the context of the, these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, we'll watch the video and you can get some idea of the context of that. Okay. There you go. Did you follow it? <laughs> Um, you can find that, just go on YouTube, uh, it's called Read Scripture. Uh, I showed a similar one when we looked at the book of Ruth, does anybody remember that? Made a big impression on you. And, uh, but it's worth going over it again, and just, just to say, I mean there is a, 
Although he's setting out a factual story, uh, there is an element when anybody tells a story of interpretation to it. So just whether Ezra and Nehemiah as, are as anticlimactic as he suggests, you might want to kind of question, possibly. Um, normally, when we're preaching out of those books, we probably find a bit more hope than this commentator has. But I think it's a very neat way to get... Well, it's quite a complicated story, actually. And I think fundamentally, you know, the point he makes at the end that, you know, the people's heart had not changed. Because this is the prophecy that, prophecy, or the prophecies that people like Ezekiel and Jeremiah had actually prophesied. That actually, you know, you're looking for a new heart, a, a soft heart, you know, um, a heart that's going to be different. And of course, you have to look into what Jesus did and what the Holy Spirit does in, in us for that to be actually fulfilled. But if you, oh, there we are on the first title. Thank you. Um, so what I want to do very, very briefly is to kind of use that as a backdrop. So these Psalms were written at this time, and it's a, it's a kind of turbulent time, isn't it? There's a lot of change. There are uh, actually three returns to the promise uh, to, to Israel. You get Zerubbabel, then Ezra, then Nehemiah. Those little nice red circles kind of emphasize that, don't they? And, and each time the work is opposed. And here at Eastgate, we're involved, we're, well, we're always going to be involved, whether we're building a building or not, or whether we're looking for a school, uh, or whether we're growing as a church, uh, whatever you're doing in your life, you will be confronted with a battle. Anybody feel like they're in a battle at the moment? Okay. Now, the problem with, you know, it's, it's a bit like what C.S. Lewis said about the, the devil, isn't it? You can either give him too much attention or too little. So in all this, we don't, all, all the talk, Pete's talks around Ezra and Nehemiah, um, even David this morning to some extent, were making references to a battle. But it is actually very realistic, isn't it, to see, uh, to recognize that you are in a battle, that things, when things don't work out quite well, um, God hasn't changed, God is still good, God still loves you, you're still full of the Holy Spirit, but things can be tough. And things can be tough in your family, things can be tough in church sometimes, uh, things can be tough in your workplace, things can be pretty tough all round. And when those, you know, all those three areas and perhaps others of your life all seem to coincide, you can think like you're in the middle of a storm. So what do you do when you're in the middle of a storm? What was, you know, and these, these well, one of, one of the things you can do is look at these psalms. So we're going to look at them. So can we have the... That's if I just prompt you rather than use the clicker. I'm not very good on the clicker, Jeff. What have we got on the next uh, slide? There you are. If you were to actually arrange these psalms in, um, in a certain order, you would actually find, so if you go uh, in the, uh, the first column, Psalm 120, Psalm 121, 122, there is a pattern to the psalms that goes starting with a distressful situation, Psalm 120, uh, oh, thank you very much. Who's got the pointer? Is that you at the back? That's not me, is it? Yeah. Right. Uh, power of God, Psalm 121. And then security is just a, a term for security in God, hope in God. And then you go to the next three Psalms, 123, 124, 125, same pattern. Next three, uh, 126, 127, 128, 129, 130, and 131. 
They have been deliberately collected in that way. Now, when I first came across that pattern, well, I didn't come across that pattern. I couldn't actually spot it myself. I had to find it in a commentary. Um, I wouldn't say it's, it's, you know, very obvious to begin with. And then you think, oh, yeah, I can see that. And actually, even as the Psalms progress, there's, you know, it's almost like they start quite, you know, the psalmist is in a difficult situation. As he moves forward, so the hope increases. That great psalm in 120, uh, Psalm 126, which you'll know very well. It's the one about, you know, the, the captives who came back from Israel. We were men who, who dreamt. We were like men who dreamt or dreamed. And it's got those lovely verses about, you know, sowing in tears and reaping in joy. That's that psalm. You can see from that, you know, sowing in tears. That's the, the distress. But there's a kind of shift, you know, in the psalms to, you know, the hopefulness that's about to come. In fact, you can guarantee for the, pretty most, for, for the most part in the Christian life, if you have sown in tears, you will reap in joy. If you've been through distressful situations, if you remain faithful to God and in hope of God, that stressful situation will come to a place of hope, a place of joy. So you could say, gosh, I'm really going through it at the moment, you know, that, you know, there are tears, literally, physically tears. There are emotion, emotional tears. That's just a prelude to the joy that's going to come. That's the hope that you have in Christ. That all things, say with me, all things, will work together for good for those who love him. Just raise your hand if you love him. That's your promise, isn't it? That's your promise. Now, it doesn't always deliver you straight out of it. And in fact, the fact that you've got psalms like this and they repeat in this pattern, it's almost a bit like your life, isn't it? You know, sort of distressful situation. Power of God comes in. I'm secure in him. Another distressful situation comes along. Power of God comes in. I find security in him. And the last three don't fit into the pattern. Just in case you were wondering about 132 and 133 and 134. It's like the psalmist gets to the end and suddenly it's all hope. It's all security. It's kind of all joy. It's almost like, you know, psychologically he's, he's worked his way through these situations. Distress, power of God, security, distress, power of God, security, more, more hope, more security. And then suddenly he breaks out into kind of, wow, I just feel totally secure. And there's a progression of this, isn't it? If you're new to the Christian life, get used to this pattern. You might think, well, yeah, I've always, always, always seen life like that. It's just I've never had much hope. Well, the Psalms, of course, talk about a God who can be hopeful for you in any situation in your life. But, but the Psalmist understands you and me. You ever felt that? I love the quote from uh, Bill Johnson. It says, read the Psalms until you find yourself. You could also say, read the Psalms until you find God. So you're finding your experience, the things that you have been through. They won't you know, be so specific, but they'll be, they'll be quite general. In fact, there are probably not many experiences that humans go through that the Psalms don't express in one way or another. Even Jesus on the cross quotes a psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. It's the first verse. 
So Jesus, you know, to, when he wants to describe the worst moment of his life, where he's carrying all the sin, or your sin, my sin, uses a psalm to express what has become known as the cry of dereliction. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay, Jeff, let's go, let's, um, we're going to go through some of these. We haven't got time to read all of them, but um, if you, if you want to write these down, so these are some of the Psalms that relate to some of the lessons that you can learn about the battles that you go through in life, okay? So uh, if you've got your Bible in front of you, why don't we just try one of these out? Here's Psalm 120. Remember, this is one of the distressful situations. It says, I call, in the, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak... They are for war. Where's the hopeful bit at the end? Well, there isn't a hopeful bit at the end. Here he is. Actually, he's probably been mixing with people who haven't been particularly good for him. You know, he's a man of peace and he mixes with people of war. It's a, it's a disturbing place to be, isn't it? And maybe you're, you know, your situation at work or, you know, Maybe all hell has broken out there, or um, usually does around Christmas times, and, and <laughs> everybody's trying to get their deadlines in. And, uh, you know, it's a difficult place, isn't it? Actually, you need to recognize what the psalmist is doing here is recognizing what's going on around him. And one of our problems, particularly, probably particularly at Eastgate, because we're such a positive group of people, because we love to share the good news with people, and we want to keep doing that, by the way, it actually becomes quite difficult to describe the problems that you're going through. There's an article in Christianity magazine uh, this month. If you, I don't know if you get that, I, I recommend you know, you're reading it just to get catch up or, or you know, keep in contact with what's going on kind of in the Christian world, particularly in the UK. But there's a whole article on lament. It's cheerful, isn't it? Lamenting. You know, a third of the Psalms are actually laments. Sorrowful songs, you could call that. You know, they're they're, they're bits where you kind of, if you're using them in your devotional time, you kind of think, oh my goodness. You know, when's it going to get more hopeful? (laughs) Well, perhaps that's why Billy Graham read five of them every day, because at least you get beyond some of the the distress. But actually, when you think about it, I mean, if, if, and I'm not saying this is true, but if 150 psalms represent, you know, human experience, you'd expect a good chunk of them be be talking about some of the difficulties, wouldn't you? And often the laments, when you, you know, try not to skip over them, because actually there will be a come, there will will come a time, and you know, both in the past, well, no, you've already done the past, but you know, in the future. Well, it will probably be very relevant where you want to actually say some of those things. And if you notice in that psalm, Psalm 120, you know, it doesn't end particularly well. Well, you know, when you're in the midst of stuff, it hasn't ended. It's one of the most profound things I'm going to say this evening. When you're in the midst of it, it hasn't ended. You haven't come to the place of hope yet, necessarily. 
And what the psalmist is encouraging you to do is to be real about your enemy and your enemies. Just be real about your situation. It's okay. I mean, we're not very good at it as, as English people. I mean, how are you doing today? Fine. Could be absolutely anything, couldn't it? That reply. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. You haven't got to pour your heart out to everybody. And sometimes fine is, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> um, please don't ask me how I really am because, I, you know, I've, I've already poured my heart out to somebody. And you're the second person in church I've met today. And I can't do it twice. It might, that may have happened. But somewhere, certainly in your own heart, if a third of the Psalms are laments, then it's okay to tell God how you feel. In fact, God wants you to tell him how you feel. Maybe how you feel he's let you down. Oh, no, I mustn't say that. God is faithful. Well, we'll get to that later. (laughs) When you read some of the characters, in the, particularly in the Old Testament, because you get more kind of detail, basically, about the individuals in the Old Testament generally, they are very honest, aren't they? I mean, Moses is, you know, honest to to a fault. You know, he, when, he, when he doesn't want to do something, he tells God he doesn't want to do it. How many people were here for the Heaven in Business uh, conference? John, John Dix was giving, he's a businessman from uh, Reading in California, just giving his testimony, wasn't he? There was, I bought a business over the, uh, from a, a gas station from a guy. You know, it was a guy, sort of guy, not only I did not get on with him, I wanted to kill him. <laughs> now, as John went on with his story... You know, he recognized there were things in his heart that had to change, you know, and he really had, although he kind of been through the Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, you know, there was, there was deep stuff in him that hadn't been sorted out. And he recognized that, but at least he was being willing to be honest. Now, you don't have to push your honesty so far that you actually go and kill somebody. I'm not saying that, just for anybody who's listening on the tape. And uh, but that's honesty, isn't it? God wants, because from a place of honesty... You can move forward, can't you? If you're constantly covering up how you feel, not least of all from God, although you can't cover up a thing from God, can you? Why not, why not tell God how you feel? Because he knows. But there's something cathartic, there's something that is released through, but, and we have examples of this in the Psalms where you're just being honest. You know, there are people around me, Lord, who've just got it in for me. I don't feel good. I feel terrible. It's like my, you know, my, uh, there are other Psalms, you know, talk about almost like death in your bones. There's a huge amount of it. And, and actually, this is the starting place. So my title is, is how do we fight our battles? How do we fight battles that are going on around us? How do we fight battles as a church? Well, let's just be honest. It's tough, isn't it? When we made all those plans for the school opposite and they said no, and it's still no, well, it's still not go yet, but it's, that's tough. There's a lot went into it. I mean, we've got this fantastic building. So why can't we get that one? Well, you know, this is our testimony and that's what we're, that's what we'll come back to later. But it's tough in the meantime, isn't it? You know God's on your side, you know God's fighting your battle, but it's tough when you haven't got through to the other end. And it's okay to tell God, and dare I say, your other Christian friends as well, it's just tough at the moment. 
You know, sometimes that's the most encouraging thing you can say to other people in the church. I'm not saying you, you make it up, you know, so, oh, that's really tough. I want to encourage you, it's really tough. <laughs> but actually, you know, how, how often have you said that and people say, oh, it's not just you, it's not just me then. You know, all those bright, shiny faces on a Sunday morning, all that glorious worship. You know, actually, some of those people who are worshipping, and we'll come to this, some of us preaching what I'm going to say later, but, you know, um, they're going through tough times, but they've made a choice to worship God. Let's get to the next point. Be a victor, not a victim. This lady uh, is not a Christian, but was being interviewed, I think, on one of the it was a news program of some sort, might have been, uh, you know, somewhere on the BBC. She described, she was a victim of, although she didn't call herself that, but she was a victim of domestic violence. Her husband had been so bad towards her over a period of time, he eventually took a knife and struck her in the heart. She was, you know, uh, operated on successfully, she, they saved her life. And for three days, she was kind of, in a, you know, in a coma, recovering from, from, from the operation. When she woke up, almost the first thought that she had was, I am not a victim. I am going to be a victor. That's incredible, isn't it? You've got to, now, she didn't explain her background. I don't think she had any particular Christian faith. But she decided, though she'd been subject to this vicious attack from, from, I think it was a long-term partner, I'm not sure if he was a husband, but a long-term partner, that that was, that he was not going to have, in a sense, the victory over her, but she was going to be determined to be a victor. And she then talked about her story, and it, it really took her at least three years, really, to kind of emerge fully, you know, victorious in that situation and I think it's almost like a God-given I was, I was, I mean, you know, I'm just waiting for her to say and I go to church but she didn't you know? but uh, that was something God-given wasn't it nonetheless that somebody should just decide from there that they although they'd been horribly victimized in one sense that from what the word go as far as they were concerned they weren't going to be a victim they were going to be a victor and there she is, like three years later, kind of giving, literally, her kind of secular testimony, if you like, on, on the television. And actually, folks, that's, that's you and me. If, we can, if somebody without God can do that, how much more you and I, who believe that God is working all things together for good for those who love him, can decide, that's my victory. That's how I'm going to break through. And you can, I mean, again, we haven't got time to read all these Psalms. Read through Psalm 129 and you just get this feeling that, you know, the, the, guy, he's, the guy's pressed around by all sorts of problems, but he's not giving in. In fact, it's one of those Psalms where you think he's got it in for the other people. Is it okay to do that? But at the very least, he's not caving in under the pressure. What's our third one? Look to God and his power. That's an obvious one, isn't it? And it comes through all these Psalms. Look to God and his power. I just said to Mark and Fiona, who chose the songs of this evening? So I said, you just preached, almost every song was preaching some aspect of these. There are eight points, by the way, just to warn you. <laughs> Actually, don't get overwhelmed by loads of points. What I, what I find, I mean, we, 
in our third year sessions in the school, um, we're reading a book at the moment, and the guy in each chapter gives you about 25 points on how to do something, which is quite overwhelming really, isn't it? If you, if you, do you read books like that? Um, well, I will tell you, it's Steve Backland's book, The Culture of Empowerment. Excellent book. But you kind of, how do I do 25 things? You know, I'm lucky if I can remember one. So what I say to the student is, look, pick out two that are relevant to you at the moment. So as we go through this list, and we'll get to about eight, don't worry about trying to remember them all, although feel free to make notes or take photographs, you know, while I pose in front. And, uh, but, but take hold of the ones that particularly mean something to you at the moment. It might be one, it might be two, it might be three, you might do all eight, that's entirely up to you. But here's the thing, isn't it? There is no hope without God. It is God's power to change your situation that you are fundamentally dependent upon. So for Ezra and Nehemiah, with all their disappointments, with all their enemies behind them, really they were just calling on God. And after, like particularly Nehemiah, after 52 days, they'd rebuilt the wall. That's amazing, isn't it? Who knows what God can do in your situation? My son runs his own business and he's not sort of walking with God at the moment. And his wife just told me the other day, they, they, you know, coming up to Christmas, they had cash flow problems and, uh, and they finally got one of their, you know, uh, credit, uh, somebody had owed them some money to put money to the bank, but it would be three or four days and they missed the, the deadline, you know, to pay his employees. When he looked at his account, you know, the following day, the check had cleared. Literally taken 24 hours. And he just said, that must be God. It's good, isn't it? That must be God. Now, if that can work, you know, so God's grace is there. You see, God is fighting your battles. We sang that tonight. Didn't we? God is for you. And even when it doesn't, you know, things around you seem to be unclear. You know, what's, what's the uh, I will fight my battle song? You know, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And it's, it's as kind of stark as this. Do you believe that? And your faith then helps release the power of God into your situation. Even when we don't have faith, God is working behind the scenes. And it's the power of God that will bring us through. Oh, we lost that. What happened there, Jeff? Lessons in the battle. Let's do the next one. Seek peace and prosperity. You'll see this throughout these psalms. Peace is a, a very underrated quality, isn't it? We don't use it often enough. What did Jesus say when you go to a household? What did he say to do? Say peace over it. What does peace mean? It's a huge, one of the huge biblical words, a bit like grace and blessing, isn't it? It means wholeness, healing, prosperity, reconciliation, well-being. So everything that's good, really, is peace. And so, you, you know, seeking God's peace in any situation, speaking peace over situations. So Jesus said, when you come to a household, now a household just doesn't mean mum and dad and a few kids. The Jewish household is much bigger than that. It's like a small community. It's all the kind of relatives, isn't it? It's not just the house. And in fact, it's also, I, w- I would say, it's about people's businesses as well. You see, you didn't have factories, you didn't have mass production what got produced in the society in those days was actually produced mainly in homes. So when you pray peace over something, you're praying peace basically over everybody's life. 
their family life, their community life, their business life. So you have, you know, your prayers are effective. And what I like about this is one of those, this is what convinced me that, you know, we have the ability to change atmospheres. Sounded a bit weird to me when I first came across it. But here's Jesus, because he says, if your peace is not received, what happens to it? Goes down the plug hole. <laughs> it comes back to you. Whoa. I mean, I, I'm still amazed at how often we don't pray this prayer. You have the power, Jesus is saying, to bring peace into people's situations. And, you know, you might think, well, I need to pray, pray, pray peace myself. Well, that's true. But often some of the, you know, uh, situations of strife and distress, we sometimes find ourselves in where we're kind of really battling for things. We need to just bring peace into them, don't we? So pray over your family with peace. Pray over your workplace and shift the atmosphere. We have testimonies over and over again here of people doing that. This is very practical. You know, it's not... You don't just get peace when you came through the front door at Eastgate. You carry it around with you all the time. Not only do you carry it around with you because it's the fruit of the Spirit in your life, but you carry around the spiritual armor to release peace wherever you are. Romans 16 verse 20, the God of peace will do what? Crush Satan under your feet. And that God of peace is working through you. You have the ability to release God's peace and prosperity is part of that peace. So the psalmist is praying for the peace of Jerusalem, the prosperity of Jerusalem. And we can pray as, you know, for the kingdom. Let's do number five. Pursue your dreams. I like that. I just had to pick this out because it's in Psalm 126, which I mentioned earlier. Never give up on your dreams, okay? Let's find the verse. It's worth reading, as is most of the Bible. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. So how do we fight our battles? Never give up on your dreams. Dave King, who leads a church down in Tunbridge, she did this amazing talk, and we've kind of got, we've repeated it, we pinched it, and we keep repeating it. That, you know, so often God works like this. He gives a blessing, but then there's a battle, and then there's a breakthrough. Blessing, battle, breakthrough. Say it with me. Blessing, battle, breakthrough. So God's put something in your heart, hasn't he? Just check it. That's the blessing, isn't it? God said, you will do something, or I will do something, we will do something together. He's given you a dream. Okay? If your dream's laid a little bit dormant, let it be stirred now by the Spirit of God. Seventy years the people are in exile. This psalm is you know, is written as they return. God had promised, you see... We have no idea what it must have been like. We get a glimpse of it in Scripture, don't we? You get it, uh, you know, in the book of Daniel. The, the, the Jews have been exiled. They're there for 70 years. So what has happened now is a whole new generation has grown up. 
somebody, you know, even if you were kind of just born at the time when you were taken into captivity, you'll be 70 when you come back. We were like those who dreamed. Anybody 70 or over here? Ooh, we are a young congregation. <laughs> well, if 70-year-olds can dream, so can you, can't you? Why does Joel chapter 2, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit say, you know, your young men, sorry, your old men will dream dreams. It's not like the younger men can't dream dreams, but even the older men, you know, who are getting towards the end of their life, who are probably sort of, you know, drawing their old age pension. They've had it. They're, you know, they're on the shelf. Now there's, you know, <laughs> Moses is 80 when he leads the people out of the, you know, through the Red Sea. 80. It's a lot to look forward to, haven't you? You're looking forward to when you're 80. You can lead a mass movement of liberation when you're 80. Our generation is so age-ist, isn't it? Everything's, everything that's, you know, new or innovative, I can't even say the word, you know, innovative, yeah. Doing new things. I can't even say it when we do it on the declaration. Innovative. You know, Silicon Valley, look at all the young men, you know, who breathe. I mean, and that's true. Young men can dream dreams as well. But old, I mean, I, I believe this, I'm over 60. You know, old men and old women can dream dreams. I keep dreaming dreams. So easy kind of give up as you get towards the end. But don't. And if you've let a dream, and I'm saying to you, this to you tonight really as I hope it's a prophetic word into your heart. If you've got a dream to do something, be somewhere, you know, be somebody, don't give it up. Don't let your distress, don't stay in the distress psalms. It's great to be able to tell God how you feel, but move into the power psalms where you think, God, you have to do this. Take my dream and make it real. And then you will find, you know, as you pursue your dream, you will find greater security in God, greater certainty as you see God answering your prayers and fulfilling, starting to work out your dream in your life. We like to, you know, we like to think of our church life here as a kind of, it's a factory of dreams. Just coming into the presence of God will ignite dreams inside you. When Danny Silk first came here and said and taught about dreams and said, go home and make a, a list of 100 dreams, I could only manage 60. I felt such a failure. <laughs> no, I didn't actually. I thought, Sick, I have got 60 dreams. What it, what it showed me is that I'd stopped dreaming. I thought, I've never heard a sermon. I mean, you know, it's the kind of sermons we had. Nobody talked about dreams other than, you know, Mark Gilpin here will tell you all about it. If you get, get his talk, you know, God's dream, which is a great dream to be part of. You know, his, his dream, dream for the whole world. But in the, in the context of that, God is releasing dreams amongst you and I in order to fill that bigger dream. Fulfill that bigger dream. God wants to redeem the whole cosmos. And, you know, when he comes back, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Your dream is part of that. Or your dreams are part of that. Because does God want you to enjoy his creation? Do you have dreams that don't seem very spiritual? Well, write them down and pray them in. Great holiday in the Caribbean. That's a good dream. 
Done that three times. It's good having sons who work abroad. You have to visit them. <laughs> the middle ones thinks he might be going overseas. Bon. <laughs> it's another holiday. <laughs> there are obviously, other reasons for having children, you know, than just holidays. But <laughs> pursue your dreams. And six, be patient. Wait. Now, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Waiting is fighting. Let's look at Psalm 130. What on earth has that got to do with fighting? Just waiting. Well, read this. I have to cut in. I mean, it's one of the, uh, is it a distress psalm? I can't remember. It sounds distressful at the beginning. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. Here we go. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Just say that with me. My whole being waits. My whole being waits. Any room for anxiety there? My whole being, my mind, my spirit, my body, just waiting. I want to do something. I can't because I'm waiting. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Later in one of the other Psalms, it talks about quietening your soul. Now, when was the last time that you did that? Now, we're getting better at that because we do things like soaking and lying on the floor in our meetings you know i quite like it if i'm tired i just go and lie on the floor <laughs> i am engaging with god nonetheless it's counterintuitive isn't it it's countercultural but actually sometimes you know when you've done everything you can't do anything else and it's no point in trying to find more to do when you there isn't more to do That's the season that you go through. How do we fight our battles? We fight them sometimes by waiting. Do you know, Lord, I've prayed. I've done all I can do. It's now up to you. I'm just waiting. Waiting like the watchman. Now, what's the watchman do? He's on the city wall. He just marches up and down. He's not really doing a great deal. Just keeping an eye on things. Doesn't take much effort. You know, he's got to stay awake. An hour after hour, and suddenly the, the sun comes out, you know, up, uh, up over the horizon. Over the horizon? Or up, you know, the sun comes up, maybe, wherever it comes up. You've just been waiting. Waiting like the watchman waits for the dawn. Number seven, keep unity. Like one of the ways we fight our battles, and I love this psalm, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down over the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows the blessing, even life forevermore. One of the sure ways of losing battles is to fall out with people. Now, sometimes it's not your you know, you can do all that you can do and the other person hasn't changed. You know that, don't you? 
So in Romans 12, verse 8, it says, In as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. So important that when you're fighting spiritual battles or any kind of battles, and they usually have, all battles have a, for the Christian, have a kind of spiritual element to them, that you maintain good relationships with other people. You sinned against somebody, go and repent and ask them to forgive you. They've sinned against you, seek them out. Just check out, don't judge them, but just check out, you know, can we just go through what happened there? Just wondering whether you felt, you know, you'd said the wrong thing or whatever, whatever it is you feel that they're out. So you have a responsibility, even if it's not your, you know, you're, you're not at fault, although usually in conversations there's a bit of, bit of both, isn't there? But you have a responsibility both to deal with what's in you and to keep peace with others and make sure that they're at peace with you. Can I just check this out with you? Because like God loves it when we dwell together in unity. And unity doesn't come easily, does it? <laughs> Try running a church. <laughs> One of the toughest things is not only the general unity in a church body, but actually a unity amongst its leaders. And so often, you know, churches go astray because there's lack of unity. One of the hidden miracles here, well, maybe it's not so hidden if you've been around a little while, is the degree of unity that the leadership has. That's one of the reasons that we're doing what we do and we've got this far because, and you have to work on it. Do you know, God appoints other leaders that sometimes you don't like. I won't, which, won't tell you which ones, but... <laughs> or, actually, I don't think there's been any leaders that I don't like, but you just think, you know, when you said that, I, I, I was tempted not to like you. And that's probably just being real, isn't it, about our relationships, whether in our family or our workplace or indeed in our church. You know, it's so easy just to check out how other people feel about you. If you're concerned about that, because you should be concerned about the unity of the body. And this is not just about leadership. This is about the whole church, isn't it? Because one of the ways we will fight the battle against sin and evil and the enemy is by remaining unified. About building on our unity. About checking out that we're in good relationship with one another. And lastly, oh, oh actually, is it lastly? I thought I had another one. That's it, is it? I'll do another one just for good measure. It's implicit in all these Psalms, isn't it? You worship God. Now, you may know there have been some outstanding individuals who've gone through difficult times, even losing close ones to them. And I'm not saying this is something that everybody can do necessarily, but what's really touched our heart in Eastgate is to see those people almost within a week or two standing at the front of our church, arms raised, just worshipping God when inside they must be falling apart. Because worship gets you into the presence. And I've just put that sort of strap line. Often all you want is, and all you need is presence and not prescriptions. Sometimes there's almost nothing you can say to people who've gone through difficult things in their life, particularly if they're involved in bereavement. Or it's not the time to say it just after that, isn't it? But what they do need, what we need, is just the presence of God and you know, worship is the way into that. And there was one other, and we'll call it number nine. It's obviously what I hadn't written down, isn't it? 
Just rely on the promises and prophecies that God has given you. Declare them. Again, the Psalms are great declarations, aren't they, about God's truth. So just reading the Psalms in a difficult time, will, you know, God will bless you through it. You'll know that he understands the situation that you've been going through. And it will bring you into a place, you know, though, uh, you know, place of security. The way those Psalms are ordered is to lead you, to lead you mind, body and soul into a good place. So whether you read all 15 or just take three at a time, then you'll experience something of identifying with the problem of distress. Finding the power of God or calling on the power of God into your life and then coming into a place of security and hope. Amen? Would you like to stand, please? We've done number nine, thank you. (laughs) Then don't be overwhelmed by the nine points, just take two or three for yourself. So Father, thank you that you are with us all the time. Thank you that you have planned it this way, Father, that your, your word can be such a strength to us in time of need. That we look to the hills, we look up, Lord, to see the maker of heaven and earth coming and meeting every need. So why don't you, just for a few moments, if you have a situation, I won't ask you to speak this out, it could be confusing, but just be honest with God. Say, God, I'm, I thank you that I can be honest with you about this situation. This, this causes me distress. If I dwelt on it long enough, I'd, I'd get upset about it. I am upset about it. Father, you are the God that fights for us. You are the God that fights for my family. You are the God that chases down with love, with reckless love. Every individual has ever lived has God pursuing them. So, Father, won't you break through whatever you need? Just ask God what's needed in this situation. That someone would meet with Jesus that a need will be supplied, that financial provision would come through, that will be a breaking of deadlock in a workplace situation, that there will be problems uh, problems that will be solved, there will be fresh ideas where things have gone stale. Whatever your breakthrough is, just ask God for it now. And even if you're not sure, say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me what I should be praying got so buried in the problem that I need you, I need your light shining through. Father, lead me into the way everlasting. Lead me into a place of security because you are my rock. And it may look like I'm surrounded, but you have surrounded me. My God is fighting for me. My God is fighting my battles. (laughs) Amen.